Greetings. Welcome to St. Dominic's Weekly. This is Father Michael and a wonderful show for you today. We bring in Father Christopher Wetzel, who is the new vicar here, along with Father Isaiah. And we have a little bit of a roundtable talking about his own spiritual journey, his ordination that just happened last month, and a little bit about discernment in general. We do get into uh, the weeds a little bit on uh, his thesis and quantum mechanics and uh, the, the faith which is enjoyable. And then finally talk a little about the Feast of St. Dominic, which will be uh, this uh, coming Wednesday, where we celebrate as a parish uh, this past Sunday. And speaking of Saint, the month of St. Dominic, this all of August is a way we celebrate in different events, uh, formationally, socially, uh, in terms of music and liturgy, uh, the great uh, life and legacy of our Holy Father Dominic, uh, the founder of the Order of Preachers, and a special way to highlight Father Justin, who is the prior here at St. Dominic's and a professor of philosophy at our Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology, he and I are team teaching a four-week series on faith and the new atheism. About 10 years ago, uh, a number of authors came out uh, kind of championing the fact that God doesn't exist and kind of reviving uh, lots of different arguments in a worldview that would uh, preclude the existence of God based on uh, science and and rationalism. And so we're going to look at some of those arguments, see how they trace back and are actually very uh, ancient uh, ideas, and look how we might, uh, on the one hand, uh, think about our faith uh, in a reasonable way, according to reason, logic, and science. And uh, on the other hand, how we might build bridges and speak to folks uh, who perhaps question the existence of God. This is going to be on Tuesday evenings, the next four Tuesdays at 7.30 in the parish hall. And hopefully we'll be able to record uh, some of those uh, talks uh, to be able to, to get them out to a wider audience. But if you're in the area, certainly uh, drop by on the Tuesday evenings, the next uh, four Tuesday evenings, uh, 7.30. Father Justin and I have given a number of different lecture series together, uh, taking on uh, atheism and that sense of how we uh, think about the existence uh, of God. Well, can't be more excited for today's show today. As, as I mentioned, we welcome Father Christopher Wetzel here. And so whether you're on the go or taking it slow, Many blessings as you enjoy today's show. Greetings and welcome back to St. Dominic's Weekly. I'm Father Isaiah, your host. With me is Father Michael. Hey, hey. And we have a third. A third? The, the, it's, it's the, it's the uh, triumphant. I know. We have a new team. <laughs> a new team. So we welcome uh, Father Christopher Wetzel. I, I feel like... Wetzel, you... like the pretzel. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare start that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm, I feel like I'm out of the loop on something. <laughs> should, I, should I inquire deeply or should I oh, just... Oh, yeah. I just like, what's, what's this? The, the, most people hear the name Wetzel and associate with Wetzel's Pretzels, a uh, mall, you know, confectioner that brings oh. uh, pretzely goodness to your shopping experience. Now, are you a big pretzel fan? You know, not really. Uh, the fresh ones, you know, with the salt on top are uh-huh, pretty yeah. good. Classy. But, uh, a little you bit know, mustard. Whenever, oh, yeah. like, uh, you're, you're on an airplane and they give you the little snacks and they have pretzels, oh. I'm always slightly disappointed there, you know? Yeah, I'm not a hard pretzel guy. Like, I just never... You know, in Philadelphia, we were raised with the big old, so- like, those giant soft pretzels oh, with salt like you get on a, top and, like, a bit Like, of you get in the ball oh, game yeah. and whatnot? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. So, I could... Well, the, the, you know, pretzel, as I, if I'm remembering rightly, is a Lenten food, right? Exactly. I think it was developed for, for, by monks for because, you know, you kind of get all your fast. It, it both meets the fasting criteria. That's right. And it's still a nutrient enough that you can kind of make it make it through the day. Beer and, beer and pretzels. Who thought that a fasting staple would become the 
baseball staple? Yeah, exactly. The, 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 <laughs> the paradigm of, of bar stools around, around everywhere. Anyway, so well, we, we, and, and also the shape itself, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be like hands in prayer. It's the, sort of the hands coming together and oh, forming yeah. little cross oh, pieces yeah, yeah, there. That's so. true. It's, it's a or heart, kind or, of a spiritual yeah. food sort of maybe. That's but true. Uh, we're off to a anyway. great start. <laughs> Welcome, Father Pretzel. <laughs> Father Christopher. So I feel like I feel like the Lord of the last summer says, "I no longer call you, you know, slaves or or, or or strangers, but but friends." So here you come. You're you're not just visiting, but you're a vicar now. So. I am a vicar, which is, is fantastic. I've always wanted to be a vicar. Well, you, you know, are it sounds a like it's a great name. post. You know, it is, it's a great so. word. <laughs> but vicar. The uh, the you know my first name I think is the one I normally talk about, and so um, my Christopher, right? So in, in, if we think of the like words like transfer, right? So fur has a sense of bringing or uh, bearing, uh, carrying as well. So oh, in Latin, f e r is to bear. F, yeah, f e r is to, to bear, right? So normally Christopher is spelled with a p h instead in Greek and whatnot, you know. So, but uh, Wait, you're telling me that the fur doesn't refer refer to your the beard, the fur of your beard, <laughs> the glorious beard, <laughs> the glorious beard. Do you have a glorious beard? This is, and, great, uh, great, this is, this is great radio here. I he's think uh, St. Christopher <laughs> might have had a beard too. He was a, definitely a manly man. There you go. There's no yes. doubt about that. There you are know? many a legends about St. Christopher. Oh, there are. There are. But anyway, right. So the name means Christ bearer, one who brings Christ. Mm. Um, and when I was in the novitiate or right before the novitiate, the first few weeks of postulancy where you're you know, praying and just entering into the life. I was praying about what what name should I have as my religious name in the order, right? Should I be yeah. Brother Joseph or or maybe one of those the Holy Brother Michaels? You know, that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, now we got too we're, many of those. We're legion. We're legion. We're legion. <laughs> we're legion. <laughs> but then I, I it was um, it was Friday night Compline, and the Compline reading for that night, the short little reading is you are. You are in our midst, O Lord. Your name we bear. Oh. Do not forsake us, O Lord, Lord our God. God. And I thought, all right, boom, there you go. Wow. Christopher it is. Really? Christopher it is. Yep. Yeah. And it, it turns out that in my novitiate class, there was actually another uh, f- uh, friar named Chris as well. So he goes by Chris and I go by Christopher. So I'm Father Christopher. And he's Father Chris Brannon. He's actually in uh, Rome right now studying sacred scripture. So keep him in your prayers. Uh, for sure. And uh, you know what it, it also brings to mind is the patronage of our particular province is the holy name yeah, of exactly. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so being a Father Christopher in the province of the most holy name has, if you will, a kind of double double spiritual amplitude, if you will. It does. Uh, although, of course, Christ is a title, right? So sure. sometimes I'm Romina Kin thinking, oh, Jesus' last name is Christ. Uh, <laughs> That's <course>. right. <laughs> oh, you know, he's Mr. Christ or someone, right? No, no. <laughs> Uh, so Christ is, comes from the, the Greek word meaning anointed. So the same, same root word as uh, the Hebrew Messiah means anointed as well. So Christ is uh, one who is anointed. And so, of course, Christ is anointed priest, prophet, and king. Um, very good. But yeah, so the holy name of Jesus also is very important for our province. And referring to being anointed uh, priest, prophet, and king, you yourself were just recently anointed. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. On uh, June 22nd, uh, Bishop Robert Christian uh, put that holy oil on my hands, the holy chrism oil. And uh, yeah, so that was a wonderful experience so here at St. Dominic's. But we're about a little, little more than a, a, a month uh, right. out. What, what, what kind of uh, stays? Well, certainly, we were having a full church and, and the... Uh, from my perspective, I don't know, you, uh, I know. you Father Isaiah, any, yeah. anytime I'm at ordinations, it's a it's, it's like, I, I imagine it's like when uh, a couple who've been married 
uh, for a while goes to a wedding and, and sees, you know, e- either relatives or other friends getting married. It kind of brings you back to your own vows and things. Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. so being there for Father Christopher's uh, and uh, now Father Brad, I keep saying brothers, brothers, guys. But <laughs> I know, right? It's, uh, <laughs> these youngins, these young bloods yeah. <laughs> get uh, in your day. And it kind of brought me back to that. Like, did you ordination? Yeah, yeah. To, went to my own ordination. What, what, what about for yourself? Oh, yeah, myself you know? too. It's like I, uh, when would talk about the ordination day with my classmates we all remember different parts of the liturgy and um as glorious it is so many symbols and so many actions that are done throughout throughout the entire ordination right and uh for me i remember one of the more uh touching moments is the imposition of hands by the entire presbyterate all the brothers all the other brother priests just kind of coming in and laying their hands on top of the priest and and for yours there were like like 200 priests there to that's a lot of hands. Oh, what can like, I say? Yeah. 400 <laughs> hands. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, yes, because of the province assembly, uh, yeah. was right before there are many, many more friars of the province than uh, that could get into the Bay Area. Uh, but that was a very memorable moment, right? So the bishop lays his hands on your head in silence, and that's the imposition of the Holy Spirit. But then, as a sign of the unity of the presbyterate, mm-hmm. all of the other priests who are present can celebrate and do the same thing. And you're kneeling down, or at least the, uh, the, the, the ordinandi are kneeling down at this moment. And so I remember... Uh, kneeling there and you kind of bow your head a little bit so that the priest can uh, put their hands on your head. But you, you're you looking down, you can't see anything and you you can just see the friar's uh, uh, feet. Is yeah, you see their shoes and so feet. Some yeah. people, you're like, oh, I know that father. I, I, I know who that is. But others, you're like, I don't know who this is, but he's a, it's a priest who wants to share with me uh, this 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 order and this task that we've been given and mm-hmm. and, his, and their spirit and I remember praying for that all of, of the wisdom and experience that they had that mm. that would enter into me. So and are you saying that you're moment. judging? Are you saying that you're judging the priest <laughs> like how long they actually lay their hands on? He's like, uh, there's only two seconds. They really don't want to give you that much wisdom. But there was there quite a, a diversity of uh, <laughs> pressure, lots of pressure, a little pressure. You um, need this kid. <laughs> a little whisper, like uh, I think Father Jerome, my previous pastor in Benicia, I, I was a deacon for a whole year at, at uh, St. Dominic's in Venetia and Father Jerome was my, a wonderful, wonderful pastor there and he, he I think he whispered, get to work! <laughs> <laughs> yes, he like did. <laughs> I, I picked up on that on, 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 at, a, at a first mass for you. Yes, you <laughs> did, you did. That's an old Father Kieran line, put him to work. <laughs> get, him, get him to work. Um, were, there, were there other moments uh, that still kind of resonate in your heart or you kind of take away, uh, you know, six weeks after, after that moment. Yeah, uh, of, of course. Um, the, the whole um, mass itself is full of symbolism and particularly having gone to another, a, a number of the other brothers ordinations, you see it from the outside and then to experience it for yourself is something special. So the one that really uh, st- stands out to me um, is that a prostration, mm. right? Ooh, so yeah. you, you prostrate for other other events as well in, in your religious life. So for making vows and for ordination to the diaconate. Um, but each time you, you, you do that, and I, I was very aware that you're asking all these saints to pray for you. So there's a litany of the saints going on while you're, you're prostrating. And you, you just, I was very, very aware of both my yeah. inadequacy, right, and the need I had for the, all the saints and the people in the church to pray for me, and you're, you're, you're lying there on the floor, but also aware of the great love of God that has made yeah. this moment possible, hmm. right, uh, that I wouldn't be here with, without his grace. I'm here because of his grace and his love, and that uh, it was a great sense of, of trust that, that God would make, who has made this moment possible, would make all the other moments possible. Yeah. And there's... Um, 
many things you learn uh, by doing. I'm a firm believer in learning by doing, and that means making mistakes, right? And so sure. as, as a priest, you make a, uh, certainly mistakes as well. Um, and I've made a few f- so far. But uh, it really is a great... <laughs> No, no, I, I, I love it because because frustration is that sign of humility, right? It yeah. is, it yeah. Is. So it's it's like I I'm not um, in a sense uh, for me kind of dovetailing what you're saying. It's that idea that as a priest, people look to you with a sense of respect and authority, but we begin our priesthood really, you know, flat on our bellies, right? In a <laughs> sense, like frustrated, but <laughs> saying saying if not for God, you know, we're, we're that sense of humility exactly. is the foundation on that. So you, you know, normally you wouldn't think of the first thing as thing is I, I know I'm going to fail or make mistakes, but that's that's actually that's that's taken for granted. So I yeah. think mm-hmm. as, you, as you bring it up, it's it's the grace of God that hopefully is working through us, so that as you say, we, we can bear we can be bearers of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. We we, yeah. can, we can bear Him. Thinking about all the, the, the that moment when you had to thinking of. The saints, the communion of saints, both. I know you had your family there, loved ones, of course, the brethren, all of your patrons and so forth, kind of in that powerful moment. Uh, maybe to take us back a little bit uh, and just share with us kind of where you're from and, and how you've been helped along your own vocation journey by family, by others. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit of your story, if you don't mind. Well, I'm really glad you uh, asked the question in that way, because whenever I tell my vocation story, I'll, I always begin with my family, because mm. that's where vocation begins. Mm-hmm. So for any families out there listening, the parents, the vocations begin at home. They really right. do. So Amen. I was very, very blessed to um, to grow up in a Catholic household, but both my father and my mother uh, practicing Catholics. I'm the um, the oldest of six children. Um, so wow. I actually have, wow. a, uh, have a twin sister, Wow, you um, are! Oh yeah, oh wow. yeah. So, um, uh, so, uh, but I'm the oldest still. Very important to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> by by how many how many seconds? Oh, uh, twenty minutes. Twenty, 20 oh, minutes. That's what I'm Jeez. told. But uh, maybe TMI there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, four sisters and one brother, and so okay. it really was a great gift to grow up in that family, praying together, uh, going to mass together. Um, mm. I was actually um, homeschooled for a few years. Uh, my wow. parents thought that the local Catholic school wasn't really doing its job in terms of uh, teaching the faith in particular. But also and where teaching. is this? So this, yeah, this was in, uh, excuse me, uh, Los Angeles. So I, I was born in San Diego, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful town, San Diego. beautiful San Diego. Um, and then we, uh, when I was very young, moved to Los Angeles to the San Fernando Valley. So uh, Woodland Hills, if anyone is familiar with that part of the San Fernando Valley. Um, and so, yeah, we, we grew up in a, uh, a Catholic uh, household. Um, I went to uh, a uh, Catholic high school, which was was fantastic. Um, the the um, uh, a Jesuit school, but there's still a, a good one. Uh, Loyola High School in, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Um, and as I was going to uh, Loyola, I started to um, be, get involved in the campus ministry side of things. Sure. So they had a number of uh, retreats for the high school students. There's a freshman retreat that everyone's required to go on. Doesn't matter who you are, you got to go on the freshman retreat. That was very good. And then um, also uh, junior and senior year, there's a Kairos retreat that yeah. um, also uh, I was able to go on. And that was very good. I started to really develop a sense of um, of spirituality, you know. Um, a sense of what 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 does prayer life look like? What does what does it mean to be involved in 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 your faith uh, at these retreats? I also had the opportunity. This was in the year two thousand. I should tell you back when I was in high school, year two thousand. Um, that that was a jubilee year. Um, the and the, there was oh, a right. World Youth Day. 
uh, in Rome that year. So oh, did you go to the university? Yeah, oh, yeah. So oh, really? Wow, our, you went our, to Bodite. Yeah. Our, um, our high school sponsored, there was a, n- a number of uh, sort of Christian life groups, we called them, um, in, in the high school for various different uh, – uh, uh, you know, uh, events, I, I, events like and yeah, things yeah. like that. So there was one um, of, of of boys who were going to go to the World Youth Day, and so I was able to be part of that. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, the one of the leaders of that was a guy named um, Michael Barber. Oh yeah, um, oh uh, not 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 a Norbertine, a Jesuit. Oh, oh a Jesuit, yeah. a different. Who is now the Bishop Barber? Bishop Barber. Bishop Barber. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, the yeah. one. Bishop, Bishop Barber. Barber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So of Oakland. Um, yeah. Of Oakland, so that was a, a great experience. And actually, he, uh, when we were in Rome, was uh, able to to line up for us a, a tour of the Vatican Gardens, which was pretty spectacular. Wow! But that this was another important moment in my life to go to World Youth Day and to see the thousands and you know millions really of young people on fire for their faith. To see Rome, to see all of the the, the churches and relics there, and to see Pope John Paul II. You know from Far for sure, but uh, <laughs> you you and a, a million of your other friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. closest friends, they, they, closest you know, friends. They said, "Bring your binoculars." I'm like, okay, and like you brought your binoculars. You're like, I see a white speck, and it's the Pope, right? So, nice. but that was an amazing experience, and it really, really was important for me to see, like, no, the church is worldwide. The church is alive. The church nice. is vibrant, um, and and it's a really good thing. So, uh, as I finished high school. Um, I was talking to one of the the Jesuit scholastics there, and he gave me a few books to read to uh, the, to help that he had helped him grow in his faith. And one of them in particular was the Seven Story Mountain by Thomas wow. Merton. Classic, a classic, right? So it's the story of his autobiography. He was a Trappist monk. He was born in like 1903 or something like that, and uh, it's the story of his life and how he goes from basically living a sort of atheistic kind of worldly uh, life to conversion to the faith. And right. ultimately, his discernment process, uh, he was a Franciscan for a little bit. And then finally, uh, entering into um, the, the silence of the Trappist Monastery of Gethsemane in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, and just to underscore that, you've got, it's kind of St. Augustine confession-esque, yes. so mm-hmm. to speak. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely has that biograph. So it's, it's, it's one of the spiritual, just in terms of uh, recommendations. We always like to point out <laughs> book recommendations and, and yeah. other things. If you've never read... The, uh, the Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. It definitely is uh, a classic to put on the uh, bucket list of spiritual yeah, reading. Definitely. Yeah, and for, for me, the, the key thing about it was that I saw laid open in this man's life how God was working in his life mm. and how he was very clear that God could be working in everyone's lives mm. um, and that it, it being uh, you know, holy, you know, in quotations and religious in quotations, yeah. it wasn't just something like for other people that other people were only for sort of, you know, uh, saints or whatever, but it's for all of us. Nice. Right. It really is for all of us. And that's something that I could start doing even now. Now, so after that, reading that book, what, what, what kinds of things kind of, uh, how was that catalytic for you? How yeah, so great you? question. So I yeah. read that actually in bet- during the summer in between high school and college. Yeah. And so that was very instrumental to help me uh, when I ended college to say, okay. Ended high school, you mean? Uh, when, I, when I ended during, in between high school and college, so when I was entering college, okay. um, I thought, uh, I realized that right at that moment it was a key decision point, right? Mm-hmm. I could either just sort of go along with the whole college thing and probably what would happen is I'd stop going to church because I'm sleeping in on Sundays or whatever and it just sort of would not be an important thing in my life. Or 
I could really make my faith my own. Hmm. Like it's mine. So it's 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 something that I embrace and that I I live as opposed to when you're growing up, you kind of do right. what your parents do or you do what the other people are mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. Um, in the supportive environment of your family or a, a Catholic high school. Uh, but in college, there wasn't any of that support. So I had to make my faith mine or otherwise you disappear. So, um, you know, ha- having uh, been inspired by you know, Thomas Merton's example, I started to pray more regularly. So one of the things I cool. used to do is walk around campus at, so you know at two in the morning when you're taking a break from your your your, your homework to you know move from one subject to the next you know is that homework in quotations or oh yeah well yeah it's, <laughs> homework it's, at 2 a.m oh yeah yeah well you know college student time you know it's uh, that's that's the ideal that's fair, yeah, that's fair point yeah time of day right <laughs> anyway. this six ounce curls or what are you doing at 2 a.m <laughs> no problem sets you oh know? really oh yeah where did you where did like you go to college home? oh yeah i should probably tell you that so i, I went to uh, <laughs> caltech in Pasadena. Oh yeah, that, that is um, that, uh, that is that's not exactly Santa Barbara party. <laughs> no, oh yeah, no, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, very, very intense academics. Uh, yeah, very intense. So you need a break, right? You okay. can't you can't do homework all night. That's just that. Anyway, so what I would do to take a break is I'd walk around the campus. It's nice and cool, and mm-hmm. you know, good climate in Pasadena, and just pray my rosary. Just pray rosary. That was so relaxing and refreshing, mm-hmm. you know, and it brought me such peace, right? So having prayers, you know, sort of a daily um, uh, element part of my life was something that started to happen then. Also, I started going to daily mass, right? So yes. there was a, or still is a, a church just a few blocks north of campus. And so mm-hmm. I'd wake up at, you know, very early for a college student, like 11 o'clock, right? And <laughs> go to Break the, a day. Go to the I noon know. mass, you know, the noon mass that they had over so there. which early. Was, oh, it was so early. And then the breakfast afterwards, it was, it worked out. So, but that, w- that of course, was a huge uh, strengthener for my spiritual life uh-huh. um, to have access to the sacraments that, that frequently. Um, and then, of course, um, the sacrament of confession, right? So before this, I'd been, you know, this was twice a year, you know. Yeah. Uh, do we really have to go to confession? I guess so. Well, let's get it over. Where's that in Bible, that kind of thing, yeah. No, I, you know, I knew it was something that good Catholics did, but it's not something I really wanted to do, you know. Right. But in college, I really realized that that I wanted to have my sins forgiven. Mm. And I really saw the power of the sacrament in transforming my life and helping me to overcome battles with sin. Uh, And and that was really kind of one of the key places where the the seeds of vocation was when I saw, wow, this is really good for me. Hmm. Going to mass, having my confession heard, being forgiven my sins, having that strength of the Eucharist to go and Mm -hmm. to, to, to live the day for Christ. I thought, I saw that was, that was really good. That was a really good thing. Nice. You, um, you've got elements I'm already, you know, of Dominican life. Oh, emerging. yeah. No, it's, <laughs> yeah. Devotional you look, life. At the study. time, you they don't realize what's going on. But yeah. you look back, you see how it all fits together. Was so, there a community there, a Catholic community there? There was. Uh, yeah. um, it was fairly small, partly because there was a parish just north of campus. Sure. Um, a small Newman Center that actually was the president of. It was like me and two other guys, basically. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, it, it, but no, we, we, we had a few events that got put on. Uh, some talks and we went on a retreat or two, I think. But uh, no, it was, it was a good, a good experience um, uh, to be in, to be involved right. in. There was a larger sort of uh, so Caltech is a very small school. How many? Um, how many? How many? About a thousand undergrads and a okay. thousand graduate students. Okay. So so very small and also fairly secular, as you might imagine. Sure. Um, yeah. So there weren't 
too many Catholics, but you, you, you do it your best you can. And it was a really good experience for me as well. So I was getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of leadership uh, experience in going on there. So, so how'd you meet the Dominicans? How do you go from from Caltech? Well, so uh, the first time I met the Dominicans, I wasn't actually doing discernment at the moment. But uh, we uh, we have a parish, Saint Dominic's. It seems like half our parishes are called Saint Dominic's, but uh, it's uh, we're it's very a great we're very name, creative right? when it comes yeah, to yeah, patronage. Yeah, so yeah. There's one in Eagle Rock in in Los Angeles, and one day one of the uh, the guys in the Newman Center at the time said, "Hey, let's let's go over to uh, Saint Dominic's in Eagle Rock. Uh, they got a beautiful church there." I said, "Okay, great, let's let's go." Um, so we went, and I was like, "Oh, this is a very nice church." Um, that was pretty much it until, you know, fast forward a bit. So it's after college. I've, I've been working for a while. So I got my first real job in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I was working for, huh. so I, I, in college, I studied applied mathematics. Um, that was, that was my field of study. And so my first uh, position was as a research scientist for a small defense contractor in Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, things were going great, right? So I had a good job, making some good money. I had a nice boss, um, you know, everything was sort of fitting together, but there was something missing, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I couldn't figure out quite what that was, but I had a sneaking suspicion it was something along the lines of, if I'm going to be working and devoting my life to something, why shouldn't it be God? Hmm. Right? Why, why should it be hmm. making, you know, this defense system better or, or even supporting my family if I had one, right? Hmm. Why? Why couldn't I devote my life to God? And then I, you know, I was praying more and more about this. And um, so the first thing I did was, um, it turned out there was a little blurb in our parish bulletin um, in Ohio about um, uh, doing a discernment week in a Trappist monastery. I was like, oh wow, that's pretty wow. good. And it was the Trappist monastery in Kentucky, Gethsemane. Oh uh, wow, Thomas Merton had Thomas been out. So I said, oh okay, that. full clearly, circle for the. Clearly, uh, this is something that God would like me to do. Um, it would be really good. So I went down to the, the monastery, and it was a wonderful, prayerful experience. So the, the monks are, are silent. Um, they chant the Liturgy of the Hours together. Um, uh, when you're there f- uh, as a volu- as a you know, discerning, they also ask you to, to work a little bit in their, their shop. They uh, make cheese and other kind of things like that. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed the, the prayerful, contemplative mm. uh, environment. That was fantastic, praying the Psalms together. Uh, they do have a uh, midnight office, uh, so that wow. you got to get up really early for that. And so, or in your case, you just stay up. <laughs> well, you know, th- uh, this by this point, I was after college, so That's no right. longer on the college uh, time zone. But, uh, <laughs> the government defense office doesn't have homework at two a.m. No, 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 it, it, it doesn't. Thank, thank goodness. But right? wait, is midnight office at midnight, or is it like three a.m.? Yeah, I think it's three three a.m. Three a.m. But okay. still, <laughs> getting up, up at three a.m. is sure. uh, you know it's tricky. So you know, as as you do, I took a nap in the afternoon to. To make up for it because I was tired then. So, anyway, the key is that one day as I uh, woke up from my little afternoon nap, I had a. It's. Uh, I was all of a sudden aware of a truth that I wasn't aware of before, hmm. and the, the the truth was the realization was that as much as I loved the contemplative life and atmosphere, that if if there weren't a way that I could take what I was uh, learning and experiencing mm-hmm. uh, in my relationship with God and bring that to other people that I would probably stagnate. I'd wow. probably reach a certain spiritual maximum of some sort and not be able to go beyond that. Mm. And this was a new insight for me. I, I never really thought of myself per se as the kind of guy who would need to go out and be uh, extroverted, the sort of St. Paul kind of guy. But I had this insight. I said, oh, okay, well, 
we'll take that and we'll, we'll go with it. So after that, I started doing some more uh, discernment. So I went and visited some uh, some Franciscans in Cincinnati, and they were very nice, but I didn't didn't quite uh, see the fit there. Um, and then I went on a come and see weekend in St. Louis with the Dominicans. So this was the oh. Dominicans of the central, central and, province. and southern province. Yeah. They were, they have their common uh, studi- uh, studium there. So, uh, and that was my first real encounter with Dominicans. Nice in St. Louis. In St. Louis, and and, and yeah. I love and I love the fact that this kind of insight that you want to share the gospel comes that kind of a spirituality of siesta. I mean, St. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph's meditation, right? That, where that's you were, it. That's it. Where, where, where St. Joseph is, my is illuminated by, by his dream, or at least that, that, that time of, that time of uh, quietude <laughs> that right. the angel can speak to him. The, the angel came to him in the dream, for sure, and yeah. uh, told him what to do. And uh, my other favorite name for the, uh, this, uh, this is the uh, Our Lady of the Pillow meditation. I never heard that word. That word. <laughs> <laughs> but there are good reasons. So your whole vocation turns on a nap. You, yeah. <laughs> Without that nap, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, you'd, 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 be, you'd be in Kentucky to drop this monster. Maybe. God is at work at every moment in your life, Ex- even when you're asleeping. Exactly. Sure, so. No, I like no, that. I, I know we're laughing about it, but it is, it is true. There's it a talk about God or Santa, Santa, Santa Claus. And, and you know. <laughs> Joking aside, right? Yeah. So our American tendency is mm-hmm. to think that value comes from work. Yeah, right. right. So that's true. Uh, to make your life valuable is to work hard and to make a lot of money and to to be successful and to not do that is 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 you're you're missing out on life. But God, remember, He created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, He, he took rested. A not because God needs a nap. <laughs> no, he wasn't tired. <laughs> he wasn't tired. But he knew that we get tired and we need naps and we need a time to step away from the work that can consume us and to say, uh, no, I need some rest and time to be apart yeah. and be apart with God. Um, so nice. uh, rest, yeah, there's a, you can do a whole podcast yeah, exactly. on spirituality of rest. Maybe we'll do, uh, we'll do, we'll, we'll do a, a spirituality of siesta. You know? <laughs> I know, <yeah. laughs> the, on next week's episode. On next week's episode. <laughs> on, 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 just follow the Michael snoring. Uh, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the necessity of napping for the spiritual life. Anyway, so anyway, you're, you, you're, you're fast forward. You're, at St. Louis, you're in St. Louis. Yep. You come and see with the Dominicans. But you're not from the Midwest, and so you That's c- it. come further west, young man? Is that basically yes, the trajectory? Yes, so the, the, the vocation director uh, invited me. said, oh, well, you're from California. Maybe you should go out uh, to, to California. Because I talked to him and said, hey, you know, I'm really, uh, I really like this of Dominican uh, vocation. They talked about the, the four pillars of Dominican life. Right, where we right. have um, our prayer, of course. So we're, we are contemplative. We're, we're, we are, have that contemplative uh, base that's the source from which all of our ministry flows. We have study, which is uh, some, definitely a way I uh, approach uh, spirituality. God as true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's something that's really resonated with me over the years. And, of course, the preaching element that I had mm-hmm. you know, been talking about before, this need to, to share with others what I've been contemplating. And finally, you know, as one of six, I really appreciated community. Um, and, and I saw the very great importance of, of being uh, together in mission, as it were, not just a lone ranger by yourself. So those are the four pillars of Dominican life, the, the contemplation, the prayer, uh, the study, the preaching, all done in the context of community. Yeah. So those all resonated with me greatly. And so when I came up to California, um, to, to Oakland in particular, to another come and see weekend, I really resonated with the brothers that I met. I mm. met a lot of guys mm. who I said, you know, I can see myself in them and being one of these guys. 
Um, and that was, that was a great moment of, um, of joy and peace for me, you know, hmm. um, the, it's, it's easy to kind of look back on it and see the, the, the way that God's working in your life. Um, but at the moment it'd be a little bit, uh, difficult to, to know how God is, is leading you and to see all those things. And there can be some ins- uncertainty as well. So I remember telling my boss when I was quitting, right. And this was back in like 2008, 2009, when the financial crisis is just starting right. to come and having a job was a good, good thing to have right back then. Um, I remember telling him, I wish I could split myself in two and half of me go <laughs> try this religious life thing and half of me stay here to, to, cause I, it was a good job. It was a good job. But, um, at the same time, I remember thinking, you know, if I don't answer this question, if I don't resolve the question of, of how is God calling me to, to live my life, to glorify him, um, first of all, I'll always be wandering. What, yeah. what, what, what if, yeah. what if I had done that? Right. Yeah. And also, even if I, I'm thinking at the time, even if I go into the novitiate, I enter religious life, uh, and I find out, oh, gee, it's not for me. Will I have wasted that year? And the answer would be no. Yeah. A whole year spent in <laughs> no, prayer, that's true. Yeah. In, exactly. in study, and then at the end of it, knowing, okay, that's not for me. I can move on now. Right. That I thought was wow. That's really valuable. So. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot more to the, the whole story and the process and the whatnot. But one of the things that definitely drew me to the Dominican order as well was um, uh, the priesthood. Mm. Um, and the I'd seen the impact in my own life of the sacraments and the Eucharist and the confession. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, what would be the greatest way that I could serve God? Well, if I could be his instrument, right? Yeah. Me just by myself, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty useless. But the sacraments are powerful. God's grace at work in the sacraments are super, super powerful. And if I could, if I could just participate in that, that would be the best. Nice. So that real draw to um, sacramental life. And yes. Sacramental the sacramental ministry, ministry, ministry for sure. Yeah. And I liked what you said too about vo- vocation and discernment because I think oftentimes there is a presumption that one would have a vocation if you have kind of a St. Paul experience. Right. Like, you know, uh, all of a sudden you think, oh, God's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God's calling me to, to, to preach his word or to be in ministry. But it almost sounded like as you were almost like a pro-cons list of like, well, if I enter into the novitiate, it won't be a year wasted. I can always maybe come back to, the you know, something in applied mathematics. It was, it was almost as if you were saying, I'm going to give this a chance. Otherwise, I'm always going to wonder what if, rather than kind of a, a shining, you know, light from heaven or, or a, you know, right. a lightning bolt, basically saying, you know, it's, it's, it's this or nothing kind of thing. And I, I think um, in my own experience, uh, when uh, Dominican priest Father Bart was talking to me, he, was, his, he had a, sa- a similar kind of advice, basically just saying, in fact, he said, anyone who comes to a certain age and hasn't definitively ruled out priesthood, religious life, having been raised Catholic and maybe having those questions, should at least investigate it, right? Everyone has, he said, actually, he made it stronger. He said, everyone has a responsibility, well, men and women, to, responsibility. to yeah. investigate that. And, you know, I, I, my novitiate, as, as you know, Father Isaiah yourself, certainly my, my class was 12, and there are yeah. four who are, ended up being ordained. And I think if you ask most of uh, the other eight who are not Dominicans mm-hmm. at this point, they would definitely not say that year of novitiate or even the years as a Dominican were certainly wasted. They, I mean, in terms of 
self-knowledge in terms yeah. of um, their own vocation to wherever, whether that led out from the order to maybe have a family or to pursue other walks of life, was enriched by their time mm-hmm. as the Dominican. So in terms of a, a discernment, when it, whenever someone says, well, I'm not sure I should start, as yeah. if as if investigating religious life or priesthood basically presumes a kind of 100% confidence, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that this is what I'm going to do. No, this is just uh, entering the division is just that one stage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, like I said, very, very few people I've ever come across in, in my time as a Dominican who say, you know, that was a that was a mistake. I shouldn't yeah, have even a, entered a in the, Yeah, even it is just a waste kind of thing. So yeah. I, I, I like how you put that in terms of mm-hmm. um, just being open to the moment and taking that kind of next step was I one question as you were as you were talking the, you're talking about that pull to sacramental priesthood life at the same time though all of your at least professional experience and study had been applied mathematics how do those two things like yeah. I, like you're definitely in the my let's let's be honest you're definitely in the minority in terms of 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 at least professional background in terms of science and things like that what, what, what was that a um yeah, what was that a fit like? Was there, you know, growing edges there? Like, how, how did how did you kind of wrestle with that at this time? And, e- and even now, yeah, that sense of you've got all this knowledge and and acumen in that area. Does that do you see that fitting in with your own priesthood? And oh and yes. yeah. So in fact, that's one of the things that uh, about that, that come and see weekend in Oakland that I, I uh, resonated with me about the brothers is that I met some other brothers who also had technical backgrounds. Right. Mm. So, for example, Father Raphael Mary also went to Caltech. Caltech. Um, and uh, your other brothers have who's on who's who, yeah who's on the podcast. In fact, I've got to well, preach on him because we had a we had a little we had a little archangel debate. Oh yes, the best yes. of oh, myself, yeah, yeah. Father, Raphael, Father Gabriel. The well got awaited, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he acquitted himself nicely. <laughs> very good, very <laughs> good. Arguing for, uh, for for his, but but he has a science background yeah, as well. He, yeah, he does as yeah. well, and yeah, uh, yeah no, good number of other friars yeah. uh, do too. And I think there's something that makes a lot of sense about that because. Mm. Uh, first of all, God reveals himself to us not only in uh, the scriptures, in the book of the word, as it were, but also in the book of creation. Mm-hmm. And so those who are seeking God, as it were, in creation are also would be open to seeking God in the world. Also, um, as Dominicans, I think we tend to be uh, attracted to understanding God as truth, mm. right? And have an ordered approach to to, to, uh, to theology, right? It's, it's not just sort of a mishmash of statements in the Bible that are true, but there's a, a beautiful unity to what God has revealed about himself to us. And, and we can explore that um, and, and apply the minds that God has given to us to this task. And so that's a very similar thing to a lot of, uh, a lot of scientific pursuits as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, oftentimes, I think just in popular culture, people see faith as kind of like akin to like going with your gut, right? It's a kind of, it's yeah. an uh, emotional, psychological kind of experience. In fact, someone was talking about having um, <laughs> recently about talking about like the different, the kind of um, likenesses to like contemplative and prayer and like, like psychedelic drugs and things like that. So they, yeah. they're talking, but they're talking about a very kind of emotional, psychological experience, and that's what faith is. But, but as Dominicans, we see faith certainly as going beyond reason, but having an inner logic to it. I mean, there is every mm-hmm. bit as, if you will, rigorous or scientific as the different methods for looking at creation, looking at technology, how our human wi- mind works applies to our faith life. Yeah. Faith should make sense, <laughs> right, yeah. in a, at, a, at a fundamental level. Certainly, it depends on revelation, but it's not without its own inner logic. So that sense that you have to kind of 
unplug your mind in order to be yeah. a person of faith or go yeah. with your gut is I mean is reason there. itself is a gift right yeah so yeah. I mean so acknowledging reason is a gift too it just makes sense that there will be as you said that inner logic of that uh that subtle interplay uh of all works of creation in that point us to the creator yeah and then that's that's why we study philosophy right <laughs> it is uh, also uh saint albert the great a great yeah. dominican um he was called the great um uh, because he, he was a bishop also but he was called the great because of his great breadth of knowledge he investigated all sorts of areas mm-hmm. yeah. chemistry natural science uh biology philosophy theology uh, he, he his breadth of of knowledge and experience was so so diverse exactly and if you want to know more about saint albert you can refer back to our, our podcast where oh, yeah. where if if uh if uh, just a little teaser there that was back what it was back during his, in his in his feast day where we came up and we gave those uh clues to how saint albert the great is connected to uh, Shelley's Frankenstein, which is really a cool, yeah. <laughs> cool connection. But yeah, you're right. You're totally. He was he was talking talk about just rena- or Renaissance before the Renaissance kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so you enter the order. The vision. Maybe just describe a little bit about you know, the last uh, few years in terms of your formation. So you entered in 2010, correct? Uh, yeah, two, 2009. I think 2009, 2009 was yeah. into the novitiate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that? Yep. Um, so it, it's been a, a great experience. So in in the uh, so a little bit back to your question, the question: yeah. of How do you bring science? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and vocation together. Yeah. Um, so certainly, uh, those are things that I believe go very very well together, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at many uh, famous scientists have been men of faith. So um, Gregor Mendel, Mendel, the guy who invented or discovered uh, um, um, her- the laws of heredity, yeah. was a was a Benedict, a, a Augustinian monk. Hybridization, with the pea yep. pods and that's all right. that. That's right. Yep, he's getting loud. Um, you know, the uh, discoverer of the Big Bang theory was a Catholic priest. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so there's the the um, uh, fun fact: the uh, size, uh, the, the study of earthquakes, uh, seismology is called. Its nickname is the Jesuit science. Really? Because right. a lot of the early uh, scientists investigating earthquakes and trying to study them were Jesuits. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. They're they're a whole seismic anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there, but uh, <laughs> come on uh, now. <laughs> you know, so uh, there is that, that 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 is leading with all that. They really do go together. So yeah. in fact, um, when I was doing my studies uh, as part of a student, uh, a, a Dominican student, uh, I was able to write a, a thesis for my master's degree on. Uh, bringing these two together. So it was on actually, uh, um, among other things, uh, quantum mechanics and, and ways that various, uh, the, the principle of philosophy called the analogy of being um, can both help us to better understand mm. quantum mechanics and then also uh, is, is, can be a great hermeneutical uh, t- uh, tool for approaching the scriptures so that we can speak of God as revealed in the scriptures without as it were, bringing him down to our level, which is always the risk that we read the Bible and we think of God just like me, but maybe bigger or something like yeah. that. But that that's I've got no idea what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so wait, let's bring this up for a second. Because sure. now, now, you've, now you've peaked. I, vocation Uh-oh. story was great, but now you've peaked my interest here. No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> wait, so you're, you're saying that the principles of quantum mechanics... Well, okay, so yeah, the, 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 it's a it's a hundred and eighty page thesis. So I'll try and cram it down as small as I can. Yeah, I want the two minute the crazy. The, the two minute version is that there's this <laughs> philosophical principle called yeah. the analogy of being. Okay, and this this means that um, the basic idea is that being is said in many ways. Okay, um, and uh, this helps us to solve some basic philosophical problems about, um, uh, like for example. 
I am a man mm-hmm. and you are a man, but I am not you. So how is it that we can both be alike, but also different? Yeah. Um, and so, so different categories. I mean, you can be, you can be yeah, a substance, so, so you can be a categories quality. Of being, that's one of the ways color. of being. Another yep. way of being is actual versus potential. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now the sun is actually shining, but it could also be cloudy out right now. And it's San Francisco. In San Francisco. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it, so it could be very there. cloudy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's just a feature of the weather. And there's, you say something real about the world when you say it could be cloudy, but it's not. Yeah. Um, and so t- uh, to explain change, so for example, to uh, explain the change of uh, a tree that is now living, but tomorrow is dead because it got struck by lightning or whatever. Um, how can it make that transition but still remain, as it were, uh, a material being? What is the principle of continuity between mm-hmm. uh, that allows change to really be changed, not just one thing being replaced with something else, as it were? Um, okay. the, the analogy of being allows you to, to speak about that as well. So you, you, uh, the tree is actually alive right now, but it's, it also really is potentially dead. It could be dead. Sure. Whereas mm-hmm. a rock could not be potentially dead. It's it just that's it was not never a, alive. Never, never was alive. alive. It's not, a, not a character. Anyway. Okay. So, so you take analogy. So this of being, analogy yeah. of being is uh, useful. Uh, turns out as a philosophical principle to address some of the problems of quantum mechanics. So ever since uh, so Einstein and Copenhagen and uh, the the early uh, 1900s. Uh, um, scientists were coming up with the theory of quantum mechanics. They had a great mathematical model that explained uh, the results of experiments. It was really good at doing that, but the math was really funky. And the question was, what does it, what does it say about the world? Hmm. Um, and people had different interpretations. One interpretation was that, well, um, the world seems to not be there until you measure it. Okay. That seemed to be one of the one of the conclusions that uh, the world is simply there was no fact of the matter to how the world was unless something was measuring it. So that that was the very a, act of measuring makes reality uh, come so into existence. Yeah, so the so act of measuring changes the world, but mm-hmm. also um, there is no fact of the matter as to what the world's like when you're not measuring it, which is kind of strange. That sounds like nonsense to me. It does. It does sound like nonsense, um, but it's. This is the struggle of the physicists trying to interpret the, the equations. Sure. Another more recent interpretation is that, well, actually, every sort of possibility of an outcome of an event, um, you know, flip a coin, heads or tails, um, every possible outcome of every event like that actually happens. And so there's many, many, the many, many, many worlds theory. out there. Yeah. yeah. All equally real, equally valid as in sense. Um, and we just happen to find ourselves in one of them, but they're all they're all out there somewhere. In another world, you're still this, at the defense place in Dayton, Ohio. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> in another world, I'm still still over there. Uh, you yeah. know, another world, you're a Trappist monk in the monastery because you didn't take yeah. a nap. Precisely, okay. precisely. Yeah. Right. So, um, and this is all these ideas are trying to explain, trying to come up, make sense of these equations of 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 the quantum mechanics, which are fairly difficult to to grapple with, and it's not a problem that. Um, is easily solved. That's because we've, we've been arguing about it for a hundred years already, and no one's been uh, the clear uh, victor. So my thesis was saying that actually this principle of the analogy of being can be a helpful tool in trying to address some of these problems. In quantum, so the, it's in, really it's written for science, for science. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, it's yeah. also um, it brings in theology as well, because one of the great things the analogy of being allows us to do is to speak about God. Yeah. Without bringing him down to our level. That's right. Right, mm-hmm. so when I say uh, this ice cream cone is good, right? That's true. 
it's true that the ice cream cone, uh, I don't have one right now, but it, you know, ice cream is good. Um, and that's, and all my experience of good is, is what I, how I know what things are good is by knowing, uh, things around me, but all the things I know as good are limited in some way. Right. right? So ice cream is tasty, but you know, it's not the perfection of, of all absolute goodness. There, there's, there's things better than it. Right. Um, that would be cookie believe it dough. or not. That would be cookie dough. Yeah, co- okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, so my, our knowledge of what's good is is given to us by the world around us, which is all finite and limited. Right. We, we can't experience infinite good. No. Um, so when we try to say something like God is good, how do we avoid the sort of the implication that God is just, uh, you know. Um, Good like ice cream is good, or yeah. good like um, maybe Mozart is good, or, or good like uh, a sun- beautiful sunset is mm-hmm. good. Um, we risk uh, it's bringing God down to our level and yeah. reducing God in certain ways. And I think this is one of the um, real problems uh, that, uh, for instance, is doing work with Father Justin on new atheism. The idea that God is, we call God the supreme being sometimes, but that's actually can be, you're talking about this analogy of being, can be misleading because even if God is supreme, <laughs> if we still think of him as being part of creation itself, a being amongst yeah. many, one being, just he happens to be the greatest. I mean, he's given whatever supreme qualities you want, the ultimate superman or, you know, <laughs> whatever, he still... You know, part of creation, part of creation, part of beingness. Whereas Aquinas looks at uh, what it would mean just the idea. When we say God, what do we mean? And he he says, you know, uh, um, ipse uh, esse, right? He's he is being itself. Mm-hmm. He is not just one being amongst many, but is the very essence of what it means. The two be. That's why it's in the infinitive, right? The it's a verb, right? God is a verb. He is, if you will being itself and the reason why there are beings. <laughs> yep. So when we speak mm-hmm. about God, we have to put them in human finite categories because that's just how our mind works and how speech and communication work. Yep. But <laughs> but there always everything we say about God is ultimately not God <laughs> and, right. and can only, as it always says, we know more about what God isn't than what God, God is. is. And yeah. the only things we can say about God are, they're not false, but they only are... are, are echoes or traces or if you will kind of almost the the afterglow we see through the different through different beings and things that kind of give you the the, the reverse side of the, the impression of what being itself is who god is right and so this yeah. is what the analogy of being allows us to yeah. do is to um uh to uh, admit the infinite distance between god and and his creatures us um but also to truly say things about god so um, when I say that God is good, that is true. That is absolutely true. It's also true that when I say ice cream is good, it is true. But the analogy of being allows us to see that, to, to have those both be true without there being a common uh, uh, the, the, meaning between those two. Yeah, the transitive property good. doesn't work there. Yeah. God is good, ice cream is good, therefore God is ice cream. Yeah. So <laughs> that, <laughs> doesn't, that doesn't work. The, the, yeah. sort of the, 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 the two options, other options would be either good uh, when I say God is good and when ice cream is good, yeah. that word good means the exact same thing in both cases. Yep. And clearly that's not what we want. Yep. The other option would be, uh, well, it's just pure equivocation. Those yep. are, uh, they happen to be the same letters in that word, but they mean entirely different things. Like the bat, which is the, in baseball, and the bat, which is the animal. Precisely. Yeah. So the analogy mm-hmm. being sort of uh, charts a middle course. There that allows go. us to, to truly uh, 
say things about God. Otherwise, we'd have a really tough time as, as Christians. Uh, we couldn't say anything about God um, uh, and have them be true. But also, it preserves that transcendence of God. Right. Um, and when we lose sight of God's transcendence, when we try and, as it were, bring him down to our level, you know, even inadvertently, um, that makes it so much more difficult for us to believe. Yeah. Um, and for, and also for for um, for the uh, for God's grace to be effective in us. Um, when we start to think of Him as just uh, a very big being, or as pretty darn good and and something that that can make my life better, um, we start to see God as a means to an end rather than an uh, an end in and of Himself. So, anyway, so that was. That was my, my, my thesis no, and, and, there. And, and, it's... and I think what's wonderful about that is you see how science both can lead us to God. And there's not a, a fundamental opposition between faith right. and science. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if everything is reduced to science and God becomes just one measurable amongst many, even if it's the greatest measurable possible, then of course we're not going to f- look up to heaven in a telescope and be able to see heaven or God or you know all yeah. the kind of ridiculous... Um, you know, straw straw men that that the atheists, you know, new atheism kind of s- sees there. But we don't have to be afraid of that. We can we can enter fully into that. And if you've uh, if in the last ten minutes you have no idea what we've been talking about, and you fast forward, um, it's it's great. It's great. To, I was just going to ask where I can yeah. get my one point five. Yeah, exactly, for, uh, exactly. This is <laughs> this is where you're, this is where the the, cre- the credit system is is, is working. <laughs> speaking speaking of which, speaking about God of things, this weekend uh, we celebrated the feast of Saint Dominic, but it's uh, actually co- this coming Wednesday, which is his. Uh, feast the eighth uh, of August, which the feast itself has has moved around. Maybe maybe to just wrap up uh, the podcast today, maybe a little bit about uh, either the life of Saint Dominic, just to give the two minute um, summary of the life of Saint Dominic. He's a, a, um, a Spanish um, a priest who is actually ordained. Comes from a family uh, where his oh, the brother was a priest, his mother. Uh, and father actually both beatified themselves and mm-hmm. is living at a cathedral. When and all three of his brothers, all three boys, they yeah, were all priests. That's right, exactly. Uh, Antonio Manes and and himself, and he ends up getting this kind of mission uh, to go from where he is uh, in uh, Spain and it's kind of central north central Spain uh, through to uh, the Low Countries, Denmark, and as he goes through uh, France, as you, uh, you have to go through the Pyrenees and around the around the bend there, encounters people who are. Um, spiritual but not religious, you might say, it becomes on fire for being able to bring the word of God and to preach. Uh, at the end of the day, be, gathers uh, like-minded uh, folks to do that and burst not only a kind of local movement in the 12, early 1200s, but uh, ultimately an order of preachers, the only order which is named not for a sense of identity or their founder, but for what they do, OP, mm-hmm. order of preachers, and so we celebrate his feast this Wednesday, and, and since we uh, will always transfer it to a near Sunday this past weekend, what might be interesting to kind of, we were talking about this before, fun facts of St. Dominic that we may not know, certainly as in my time here, I always like to share stories about St. Dominic, and there's some mm-hmm. classics, but maybe something off the beaten track. Do we know know any uh, know any, any any stories about St. Dominic that epitomize Dominic well, for you? One of the stories I love about St. Dominic was that... Um, as he was uh, doing his his ministry, walking around, and of course he was only I died five years after founding the order. So yeah, that's he a, didn't that, spend yeah. that much time. He walked to death. Um, and, and, and maybe uh, just to, to hold up on that, I think that is one of the most fascinating things about Dominic. Most founders, yeah, if their foundation or their order or their movement lasts, it's because of their own personal 
charismatic, uh, focused drive. Their imprint, yeah. Yeah, their the vision. Their I mean, if yeah. you, can you imagine if Mother Teresa died, you know, four or five years after she, you know, went to Calcutta, there might be missionary charities in Calcutta. It would not be here in San Francisco. Yeah. It, would not, it, it, her, it was her force of vision and her personality and her writings that really made it happen. St. Francis, if St. Francis yeah. didn't live well beyond, it just never would have St. Benedict. St. Benedict, yeah. St. Yeah, Ignatius. Cr- but Dominic is, I think... With, maybe there might be a few exceptions here. There's the only, I know for a fact, the only order where the founder dies. <laughs> so <laughs> early on. So early on. And yet it had, it had already taken, I had already had, had left his imprint. Uh, to me, that sense of Dominic, it wasn't necessarily his um, large, outsized, extroverted personality that made the order work, but the need for the preaching and how he was able to, if you will, uh, inspire Activ- others to activated. share the faith, to mm-hmm. activate it in others. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's the, what you say is true. That, that yeah, that, and he, he certainly did activate the faith yeah. in others. Um, the, the the growth of the order even after his death was just explosive. Yeah, just absolutely explosive. I I can't remember the exact facts and figures, but I want to say that in 1220 is when the friars actually arrived in England. I think is, is that is sounds about was. right. Yeah. yeah, and I think within five years they had 20 priories. Yeah, I, I, yeah. and how many and, 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 and like, more and or less how many priories? Priory? Like, like about 20 friars. Exactly. So, so you do so the math. <laughs> you're like, wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah. and and um, you, you can see why there was the, after this the mendicant controversy because yeah. all these friars, the people are coming out of nowhere. And there's a whole new thing. Yeah. Um, but it was clearly because these people were on fire for this idea that we should preach the good news. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, the, the fact that the order has been in, uh, going for 800 years ever since and has been flourishing, uh, I think still says the importance of St. Dominic's message today. And, and one thing about St. Dominic himself is he was a very uh, humble guy. And he, he realized the importance of both of preaching the gospel, but also of preaching through his life. And so uh, the story I was going to tell earlier was that as he would, he would walk around, people realized that he was a really holy guy. And so they would, they would, as he was talking, they'd come up and snip off a little bit of the bottom of his tunic. As oh, a really? Little, as a little souvenir. Oh. <laughs> a little, a little, pe- little, little relic, no, future relic. relic. Exactly. Yeah, relic. Exactly. And so his, relic. his habit kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. <laughs> and it's up above his like knees. And the first like, uh, Dominic, we can get you a new, a new one there. And he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm just a poor friar. So that reminds uh, me of our own father yeah. Felix. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think his he got his habit in the uh, in the early 1900s, and he yeah, and it's he, trash. And he just just kept wearing it. Was it became it was like see through at the end there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. more holes oh, yeah. than not. Yeah, yeah. more exactly. holes than not. And like we had like six habits perfectly pressed and ready to go that no. fit him. But nope, he no, wanted no, that he, habit. he wanted that habit. Yeah, <laughs> Dominic. Yeah, no, no, he was. And I, I think too the uh, just because uh, now that I'm looking, if if we if you haven't uh, seen Father Isaiah recently, he's he's embraced the facial hair, and I think I'm I'm definitely applauding the the new facial hair. Was there was there a uh, a uh, inspiration behind that? Well, I mean, I surely that uh, one of the traditions of the order is that when the brothers go out on mission, that yeah. they. Um, the the necessity of the blade of the, <laughs> is not necessarily imposed. So uh, so uh, when I was in India, I was looking I was looking myself in the mirror, trying to clean myself up, and I was like, yeah, just keep it. I'm like, yeah. It. And the reason happens. I mentioned because Saint most most people maybe not realize that Dominic himself had a beard. He sure did. Yeah. He sure did. <laughs> and and, yeah. and even though he was a reddish hue, from <laughs> what I've been told. <laughs> hey, I I'm not making it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Blessed Cecilia. Cecilia. Yeah. Cecilia is the one who <laughs> biographer tells us that <laughs> to, to great <laughs> to great delight. Um, but it's it's because of that uh, desire to be 
a mission, even though he himself didn't ever um, personally get to the, the Far East or, or to yeah, lands uh, abroad. He himself inspired that movement outward, and, and just that sense of wearing a beard gave a sense of, of first of all, the walking and traveling he did yeah. just generally, but that idea that the order of preachers always meant to be missionary in spirit, yeah. if mm-hmm. not necessarily. In fact, so so now so yeah. all three so the 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 the, uh, the whole pastoral team here yeah. wearing facial hair. I like it. I, I, like I, it. I, I when I when I arrived, it wasn't it wasn't that way. I was, the, was lone, the lone dog on the face. Now here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I not going to say it's a it's a prerequisite for ministering here, but let's just say it doesn't it hasn't hurt. But is it helpful? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, what I would love about Saint Dominic yeah. too is a kind of obscure story is that. Um, Dominic was a Californian before Dominic even knew California existed. Um, Wait, let's just say that again. Well, I mean, in, I think that Dominic was a Californian before oh, California. California. He knew California existed. Because, okay. Tell like me. what I mean by that yeah. is that when he would, yes, he was a nobleman, uh, but mm-hmm. um, so he would wear shoes within the city. But there have been one of the more intriguing stories about Dominic is that when he would go from city to city, he would walk barefoot. And um, in fact, associates would always kind of ask, like, can I hold those for you or why are you wearing wired uh, but he was so insistent on work, walking between towns uh barefoot and uh here we are and again this is really bad radio uh, th- the three of us are facing each other and not none of us oh, actually we have, a, have proper oh, like uh, shoe like footwear nice so it's uh, in it. so Very i good. just found that clearly in real cities at the moment <laughs> yes you know <laughs> that's right but that was that was that was uh certainly that was a little so you're basically saying his his uh is kind of uh is discalced it's the Scouse state <laughs> the, the while Scouse on mission, while <laughs> traveling around. Was Presage just, the California spirit yes. of, of, yes. of, of lounge wear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm with you. <laughs> I, mean, I won't gainsay that either. <laughs> beards, and sand, beards and sandals. There you go. You got, you've got, and, and the rosary. What more do you need in a habit? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the, cat, the, the, the Cadillac uh, of habits for sure. That's a, a Definitely. D- Dominican uh, life. Yeah, no. So this Feast of St. Dominic certainly um, puts us in touch with our founder, one of the things that I didn't know until, this will be my little story about uh, Dominic, um, until I traveled in the lands of St. Dominic in pilgrimage this last April, was even before he um, kind of founded the order uh, proper, he took some time just preaching in the area. And there's a very famous church, the the cathedral in Carcassonne in France, which mm. Uh, it's still kind of a very, it's kind of almost like, you know, Solvang down the, down, down the coast is kind of, it's kind of like they, they've kept the city walls up. You can walk on the old medieval walls and stuff. Um, he preached there during Lent mm. and was basically, if you read, had, if you will, just the experience of being kind of a parish priest. He was, he was doing the sacraments, the ministry. Wow. He didn't have necessarily the, how to put it, the responsibilities of administration that I don't think most priests necessarily feel is you know at the essence of their <laughs> vocation is i don't know if anyone <laughs> becomes a priest to do administrative <laughs> work and responsibility but it, it tends to, to find us it's in our in, it, in yeah. our way it's part of it but i can just imagine him being free from some of those <laughs> responsibilities and just preaching yeah. for the whole lenten cycle and in fact during that time the end of that was uh offered or at least they, they were putting some uh some pressure on him to become the bishop of the local area. And, and yeah. he actually declined that, although he did, did get some um, Episcopal-like uh, permissions, that is to say Mass without uh, the altar stone, which in the name you name So oh. he could use basically the, 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 the um, 
uh, antimensium, the, the, or the, uh, ant uh, yeah, the antimensium, which is basically uh, a cloth which has a relic sewn into it without the stone. So, you know, these Dominicans had permission to do that. Your kappa could be, uh, could have the authority of a stole. So you could both preach in mm. your confessions in kappa and, oh, and preach without a stole. That's cool. And in, during processional crosses, the uh, the corpus of Christ not pointed outward but pointed towards uh, the Dominican. So little traditions that were at the time reserved only for bishops. Oh. But Dominic, even though he wasn't a bishop, was able to take uh, to, and universal faculties for hearing confession too and, and preaching with with the Kappa. We're all we're all part of the order that were kind of Episcopal like. So oh, <laughs> it that's was, really and, interesting. And and that all comes from this, that time when he ministered in, in Carcassonne. And to this day, there is although there was construction at the time, and the uh, the person who was helping us uh, guide us, our tour guide, saw my eagerness to to get a picture and, and to see it and to cut through construction. But on the wall, it basically says. Saint Dominic preached here. <laughs> he was a, and it was such Amazing. a powerful Lenten uh, set of sermons over those over those uh, forty days that it's still literally carved into the side of, of the That's church on the, on the inside from that time <laughs> yeah. period. So, so just that idea that Dominic never really um, set out to found. In order of preachers, but that's where the Lord led him to. to, to that was the need, and so he responded mm -hmm. to that need. So, would that here we are the the the, the pastoral team of Saint Dominic's yeah. would that we too would respond uh, to that need here uh, in in the heart of the city. Amen. Amen. So, is it just do we want to do? A, do we have time for pick of the week? Yeah, we have pick of the week. All right, so let's give me give me give me the pick of the week. Or we're yeah. So, dear friends, just to remind you, I mean, for the past few months, we've been having. Uh, Form.org. It's also an app for your, for your cellular device. Um, it's basically Catholic Netflix, where there's uh, a series of lectures and and videos and even uh, um, good old books that are available online. And uh, you can find the code for um, Form.org on on the uh, on the Saint Dominic's website and all the other social media. And um, the pick of the week this week it would be from Dr. Brant Petrie of um, oh, Benedictine yeah. University in Kansas. Um, yeah. I've been, uh, while I was uh, kind of uh, away myself and uh, been listening to all of his lectures found on um, on form.org, and the one that I I really liked a lot is uh, um, is entitled uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, again by Dr. Brant Petrie, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. So it goes through the, um, uh, kind of go through the Talmud, the Talmudic uh, traditions and how the temple worship was in uh, in the time of Jesus and how that is reflected in today's liturgy. Nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, who, um, Father Brad, the newly ordained Father Brad, was was introduced me to, to some of his work. But mm. is that no? Is that a is that a book? Uh, what, what's what's is it an audio kind of thing? Well, I'm looking it up on on the app right now. It's a, it is a it it's an audio lecture. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. great. So you can just uh, on the Download on the it. phone. Or when on your go, or uh, and but there, but um, off the off forum.org too, there's the book that kind of expands many of his points, um, which is an excellent book as well. But going back to the lecture, it's about um, about 57 minutes long. Nice. And so his name is uh, B R A N T mm -hmm. P I T R E R E. Brant Petrie. And He's got a number of things, but here, Jesus and the Jewish roots of the Eucharist. Exactly. Nice. That's that a good one, a good thing. And then we also, so being this, um, Feast of St. Dominic, any recommendations uh, for bibliography for the life of St. If someone wants to read kind of a, a go-to 
concise, illuminative um, life of St. Dominic. Brother Christopher, what do you got for us? Yes, so there's a wonderful book on St. Dominic called uh, St. Dominic, The Grace of the Word by Guy Bidwell. So it's... Uh, Sounds French. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> uh, it's uh, G-U-Y-B-E-D-O-U-L-L-E. G-U-Y? G-U-Y? He's just a regular guy? Or? Yeah, he was a regular... <laughs> <laughs> he was. Um, yeah, give it a... What's the name of the book again? Uh, yeah, St. Dominic, The Grace of the Word. The and Grace of the it's, Word. It's a great um, biography in the sense that it gives you the story of his life, but it's also a wonderful reflection upon uh, how the grace of the Word was active in his life and ha- continues to be in the Dominican order. So it's a good uh, spiritual reading book as well. So mm. I yeah. highly recommend it. And then he also has a book on some of the early lives, just like yeah. little portraits. Is it nine portraits of yeah. Dominican saints? I think, I think that's called. what it's yeah. called, actually. Yeah, yeah, and that's the book that I got when I entered the Father Martin gave <laughs> those <laughs> <Me> books. <too. laughs> did, he, did he give you yeah. the same book? Yeah. It's so a small he, black book with yep. Dominic uh, staring at the crucifix and yeah. uh, nine portraits of St. Dominic of St. Dominic in... Uh, uh, St. Catherine. Yeah, Martin de Porres. In fact, yeah. I think the book was out. I, I actually, I, I, I think the uh, the Ignatius Press, when they were looking to to revitalize it, mm-hmm. they, they actually called me and said, do you have a copy? Because we, we want a copy that uh, we can use to reprint these. So my copy of that book. Is that Ignatius Press? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, just basically they took it from me. They reset it. and then But they, did they return it? They did. <laughs> okay. And not only did they return it. <laughs> I, well, I don't know if they returned the self-same one, but they gave me a few extra copies for lending my copy. So I they thought, are. oh, it's kind of like a sourdough starter, right? you know? It's kind of like this is a, that's a great little work as well. So I, this has been huge fun. <laughs> welcome, Father Christopher. Yeah, and, good to be here. Good and, to be here. and welcome back, Father Isaiah, from your your, uh, your ramblings and rumblings. And and uh, here, here we are. This is, 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 is uh, going to be a fantastic year. And so may all that we do here as we celebrate this month of August, the Feast of St. Dominic, truly radiate the joy of the gospel here in the heart of the city. Amen? Amen. Amen.